0: Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Hayburn building in Louisville, Kentucky. You are listening to 106.5 FM on your radio dial, and you can find out a little bit more about our station if you go to forwardradio.org. Again, uh, I'm K.A. Owens. You're listening to On the Edge with K.A. Owens, and of course, we're still in Black History Month, so it's uh, February of 2021, and I've got Mac Shaw
1: here with me today. Welcome, Mac. Well, thank you very much, and I'm quite pleased to be here. And anything I can do to help, you let me know. So, Mac Shaw is a retired
0: librarian for the city of Louisville, veteran United States Army and Air Force, and Air Force, and has led many, many book talks. Uh, Over 25 years worth. And so uh, uh, and that is a community resource uh, 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 in, in, in itself. So uh, thank you for making time on Black History Month. And so we're going to talk about books. And the first book he bought, uh, Mr. Shaws bought us more than several books with us. But the first book is going to be by Carter. Woodson, G, Carter Woodson, uh, the miseducation of the Negro, right, a- and and folks, you should know that Carter G. Woodson was the founder of what we know of as a, a, a Black History Month. He he came up with the concept. So right. tell us a little bit about Carter G. Woodson, and then let's go into the book.
1: Right. So Carter G. Woodson is uh, looked at as the father of Black History. Uh, in 1926, Woodson Woodson. Woodson founded the uh, Black History Week, they call it, but um, he chose February. So February was made into the whole month. The whole month was to be recognized. He chose February February because most African-Americans— most African Americans did not know that the 13th Amendment, freeing the African, had been signed in January 1865. Africans in southern states, i.e. Texas, Louisiana, did not find out until June, given us the holiday Juneteenth. Woodson selected the second week in honor of Frederick Douglass and, of course, Abraham Lincoln, who is the freer of the slaves. Or oh, that is the title given. Uh, Dr. Woodson uh, began his uh, illustrious career at Berea College in Kentucky. He pers- his pursuit of college of a college degree led him to the University of Chicago. Woodson earned his baccalaureate degree in 1907 and a master's in 1908. His thirst for knowledge continued, and he became the second African American to earn a PhD from Harvard University in 1912, after, of course, the first, who would have been W.E.B. Dubois. Uh, Woodson furthered his studies at the Sorbonne in Paris and spoke fluent French. He also studied in the Philippines and Africa. Dr. Woodson had mastered all the European could teach, but he had a higher calling. His only desire was to return back to his community and teach empowerment. And thus began in 1915, while Woodson founded the Association for the Study of New. Negro Life. This organization is still alive almost a century later as the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History, A-S-A-L-H. So, and and years later, he created a Journal of Negro History and uh, Negro History Bulletin in 1937, and it goes on and on. 1919, became the Dean of School of Liberal Arts at Howard University. Thus goes the life of Dr. Carter G. Woodson and of course I don't know if I mentioned it he was a native of Kentucky the bluegrass state So there you go uh
0: so folks uh and then uh one of his books was The Miseducation of the Negro and so right. so do you want to tell us about that particular
1: book Well in this uh in this particular case and I'll uh get uh let me get this here in the miseducation of the Negro, um, what Dr. Wilson, what Dr. Woodson has done is to try and bring uh, uh, conceptually, give the Negro race its history. In other words, to give it uh, things of accomplishment, uh, what people had done, also where it came from, as does And as has all races that come to this country, the Irish-American, the Jewish-American, you know— all have a history, but the Negro was the only one that did not have a history, an origin, a a beginning, or anything that it could look to with proudness. So it's sort of a mission that uh, Dr. Woodson was on, and it was a mission to build self-esteem in the Negro race, to give it its greatest perfect its greatest perfect purpose, and that is its history, or will begin a history of Negroes in this country. So, uh,
0: what was he fighting against at the time besides sort of racism with a capital R? I mean, there were other folks who looked at things in a different way. Right. Uh, for instance, Booker T. Washington looked at things in a right. certain way, right. and uh, right. and then. Uh, Say that would you say Dr. Woodson was sort of closer to W. E. D. Boys
1: in his outlook? What, what, in education and training, um, and he, he was he was that way. Education and training they came through the same areas. They went to Europe, whereas with Booker T. Washington, less so. He was more a blue collar uh, person. Booker T. Washington was close to the ground, and uh, you could say that Du Bois is probably the greatest intellectual light in Negro in the Negro world, and and Wood. Woodson was probably uh, the same, maybe a close second. I doubt it, maybe even greater. But we hear more about Dubois than we do about uh, Woodson. Dubois is more international, and and as is uh, Woodson also. But when you look uh, in the libraries and you talk about great Americans, they begin with people like, uh, historically, Dubois. And then you go down the line, Carter G. Woodson, uh, Booker T. Washington. Washington. And, and, of course, the great uh, conversation between Bois and Booker T. Washington with respect to should all Negroes be educated in—with uh, Washington uh, working, should—we just want to work, you know, have a job, be able to take care of our family. And they had this great conversation about it. And I'm just glazing over a little bit of it, but it was more in-depth than that. But along the way, uh, not just uh, did you have in this world, so let's not narrow it too much with Washington, Du Bois, and Dr. Woodson, you you have those great writers out there like uh, Ralph Ellison. Uh, You have the great writer like uh, Richard Wright. Ralph Ellison, of course, is well known for The Invisible Man. And what that does is the book talks about the black male on the landscape of America. Where does he fit? that. And that's what uh, his—this book, of course, is a fiction book, but still historical fiction. And then you have uh, the native son. You have uh, uh, Richard Wright, who brings to life the native son, who tells you from his own words, his own mouth— We are being controlled. We can never do anything. We'll never be anything. And the Negro becomes Bigger Thomas in the fiction book Native Son, where Bigger does the unspeakable. He gets out of his box, and he accidentally kills or suffocates a white girl. And after that, he becomes the— thing that is most dreaded by blacks he becomes a monster and the white community is able to make the in this book the argument that he is or was a monster and then of course if i'm if i'm going i'm going to Go through some, and then I'll come back, and you can ask me questions about. I can remember when I first came to Louisville, Kentucky, fresh out the military uh, from uh, Schweinfurt, Germany. I ran into some very, very intelligent, intellectual professors, Dr. J. Blaine Hudson, whom I'll never forget, departed this world. Um, uh, Dr. MacMillan, who was a righteous man, looking for uh, you know, and guard a guarder of black rights. Uh, Dr. Woodson and turned me on to a book, excuse me, Dr. McMillan. I'm sorry, I'm getting them all mixed up here because they're all great people. Uh, but but uh, Dr. W- uh, McMillan turned me on to a book that's called The African Present in Ancient America. They came before Columbus, and I thought that was uh, very good, and I did book discussions on that 20-some-odd years ago. Of course, The Invisible Man, I've read about five times. What a marvelous book that is, written by uh, Ralph Ellison. The book itself talks about uh, education of the Negro, but it, but the particular Negro that we're talking about is uh, forced to look at everything from the perspective that it is—racism, racial hatred, trust, all those things—but the biggest problem that uh, the uh, young man had was with his own. He was uh, in a college that was a prestigious black college, and he made one mistake at that college. And the mistake that he made followed him the rest of his life. And that mistake that he made was he gave answers to a white man. He was supposed to drive the white man around and never tell him what was going on. And what he done was he took the white man to an apparent place where the white man spoke to black people in which um, one of the characters had slept with his own daughter and impregnated her. And the white man uh, failed some sort of violence. Vibration for it and was totally knocked out physically, and was taken to a place in the black community to get whiskey, in which more rowdy blackness he was exposed to. And when uh, the invisible man returned back to the university, he was met by the president of the university, Dr. Bloodsoul, who destroyed him. And from that point on, the young man never trusted anyone or anything, and he lived underground in Chicago. Away from all until he meets these cast of characters along that way. Very interesting book. Um, I, I would recommend uh, people to read it. Um, and of course, you and I spoke about this. Uh, Tana, I'm gonna let you pronounce his name. You do a Rossi Yeah, there you go. Between, Tana, Between Tana. the world and me. Between the world and me. This uh, book is very interesting. I couldn't find the book, but I did find my notes. And uh, the book itself talks about—it's a letter that the uh, author writes to his son. And he explains to his son why the world is the way it is. And in that explanation—here we go. And in that explanation, uh, the author explains—I always look at the book from three perspectives. Who is the author? We're talking about Ta-Nehisi Coates. Why did he write the book? And this is the reason he wrote the book Between the World and Me, to introduce his son to the largest society, economics, historical and historical context of the fear within which black people in general and young black men in particular live in contemporary America. This book is about. It is written as a letter to the author's teenage son about the feelings, and and and, and you 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 know what I'm talking about. You'll know when you when we go through this and I'll make it quick. The feelings his teenage son's had, symbolism, how black people are portrayed, and realities associated with being black in the United States, police brutality. Uh, your first one uh, fired from a job. Uh, Turned away, shut out uh, from opportunity. Coates uh, 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 talks about the American history of violence against Black people and in, in, and its incommensurate policies of against Black youth. A common theme in his book is fear of bodily harm, While he tells his son about how black bodies are destroyed, not just by the police, but by a family member beating a child to death, or fear, or the police, what the police does to you, and of course what the street does to you in an impoverished community. Uh, Coates uh, draws uh, from an abridged autobiographical account of his youth in Baltimore, and he, his work takes inspiration from James Baldwin, as we said, in 1963 to fire next time. Like Baldwin, Coates does not share in traditional black Christian rhetoric or uplift, and more bleakly believes that no major change in racial justice is likely to come. So, that that uh, begins this book right here. And he begins his letter with Dear Son. And he begins to talk about uh, America and his proper place in it. And he tells him why he has to be careful, lest his black body will be destroyed. Well, even today, I mean, uh, uh,
0: uh, whenever I go to the store, I follow the rules. I always get a receipt. And right. I always put my merchandise in a bag because I don't want anybody to say I stole it. And I don't want them shooting me out in the parking lot. There you go. So they always ask me, do you want a bag? I say, yes, I do. Right.
1: I want a receipt in a bag. There you go. And, and the thing about that is I've spoken to numerous young black males over the ages, uh, about police brutality and the fact that they do not have the same rights as a young white male. I say, when he asks you for your license and your registration, you need to give it and you need to let him know you're giving it. You need to be very cautious because he can treat you different than he would treat them. And generally, policemen that you'll meet are generally white. And and his experience with you is a lot less other than what he knows from his... Well, I shouldn't say that right there. That That's painting everybody with the same brush. I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush, but let's let's face it, the brush that I'm painting with has done a lot of damage in the black community, and they feel like they should be treated the same, and they argue the point about no, I should be treated the same, and I want and I said, okay, I'm through with it. Yeah, well, right. there should be. <laughs> You're yeah, right. Learn the but, hard uh, way.
0: You know, but uh, uh, so uh, so it's like uh, what was the whole situation? Yes, about. Uh, because what you're talking about, because in theory, if you're walking, if you're a pedestrian, you don't have to have ID for walking. Right. But with blacks, in particular, black and brown men, the police right. will approach black and brown men who are walking and ask them for ID.
1: And 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 that's true because you know why I've had I've been approached on numerous occasions with that, and on a couple of occasions that I was approached, I looked at the guy, guy looked at me, and I said, Yes, can I help you, officer? And he looks at you, and he looks, and he goes on. Or if you get in a conversation with him, they say, well, he seems reasonably intelligent. Let me move on to the next. And if, any, if anything crosses his mind that you might not be at the level that he thinks you ought to be, and that is beneath him, then you're in trouble. And that's what I've seen also. And when you try to explain to young men that explanation sometimes doesn't meet the bar, What needs to bar is to follow, like you said, direction. Yes, I want a receipt. Yes, thank you. Yes, and you're out of here, and I'm out of here. And
0: so what usually happens is that even blacks who are, you know, uh, on the left of the spectrum are, you know, more revolutionary. They will say, look, what the police are going to say is, uh, well, uh, uh, somebody who looked like you robbed a store down the street. So
1: that's why we're asking you for your ID. Right. Or something like that. Well, they make you, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've had that to happen. I had a guy to knock on my door. He was looking for coats. They said a black guy had stole coats. He looked at me. I was a black guy, and he said, he started talking casually. He asked me if he could come in, and I looked at him. I said, listen, I already know what this is about. You're looking for something. I don't know what you're looking for, but you're not going to find it here. So tell me what you're looking for, and we can go through and see if we can find it together. And he looked at me. He said, well, I'm so sorry. I didn't, and Thank you very much. But you see, just like what you were saying, you have to be aware of what's happening because you may be totally innocent in what's happening and not know. And next thing you know, you're face down on the ground with handcuffs being put on you until— Or dead. Or dead. Right. So, or dead. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, so Max, what else
0: are uh, other, other, other books you want to talk to us about today? Well, uh, back in the day— Oh, by the way, back— Mac- Tell us too, as a as a as a as a librarian, what do you think black people ought to be reading right now? Why you were you uh, selecting some more books? Uh, well,
1: I, I would say to young black males, uh, to find a progressive young black author like yourself. A lot of people talk about the the. Um, uh, the historical books I, I would say yeah go back and look at them but first of all what I would say from what I've seen over the years that I worked down in Western down at uh, uh, Shawnee those are libraries folks yeah, yeah I'm sorry Kentucky. at the Shawnee Library at the Western Library and uh, over here at Bonair, and maybe I shouldn't be calling names but I'm just saying and I did black history programs and we had book discussions and you have to establish a group and one of the great greatest uh, members of the group that I've ever had was um, J.T. Woods uh, Jimmy T. Woods and of course fantastic he's fantastic individual right. he's passed on outstanding uh, person right yeah. right, and and uh, Mr. Woods and I even did radio shows together and, and we would really get into it and sometimes all you needed was four or five people because that might be too much because we read the books and we referenced to other books and he was intense when it came to it but uh, those days appear to be gone. When I left, when he, when, uh, I left um, Western, I didn't see that intensity anymore until we had, like, reunions. And so I don't know what young black males are reading today, but it seems to me that in order to get into the reading uh, uh, temp, uh, to get into reading, you, you would need to find something you like and read it. I would recommend the historical books like the Ralph Ellison's, like the uh, uh, Richard Wright's, and and, uh, uh, Coates, and um, His Elk. I'm trying to think of other young writers, um, and I would look at those— Uh, But I would get a list, go to the Internet and look up a list of black writers and then go through each link and it'll give you what they've written. And then sometimes you can click on the link and it'll give you an introduction or a short narrative of the book. And that might pique your interest. That might pique your interest. So what you're saying, if you have a book group.
0: That'll sort of keep the excitement level up so that you'll finish the book and then you'll be able to
1: discuss it with, with like people who are interested right, in it. Right. Right. And then they can spread they, and then they can spread it across the spectrum of the community. The, um, black reading sometimes turns into what we call uh uh white reading. In other words, you read white books, but you've never read a black book. So sometimes your cases, is, when I say a black book, and people say, well, what does that mean? A book written by a person, African American, Afro-American, Negro, black, or in the case of rappers, and I won't say what the N-word is. Like Dick Gregory had a book that was called N-Word, and um, there was a guy from Harvard, I can't remember his name, and he wrote a book that was called N-Word. They didn't say N-Words. I don't know if I can say it words that they Not said. on this show, no. Okay, yeah. well, okay. They, they wrote that book. And uh, everybody knows Dick Gregory. He wrote the first one. And then the guy from Harvard, and I can't think of his name, he wrote one about it. The the N-word itself has a long history, and I think that that might be something that might uh, uh, pique the interest of, of, a long, of a lot of young black readers because they use it so much. The N-word is so common today, it's almost like it's your first name, or it could be your last name, but definitely it's a name that when nobody can, or anybody, or Whomever you're speaking to can't remember anything. You know what they do? Snap the finger, and the N word is fired. So um, I do wish uh, that is my feeling on the word
0: is that, for instance, if a if a stand-up comic wants to use it in a nightclub, right. I'm talking about a black comic. That's one thing. Dave Chappelle in a club, but I don't, that Dave Chappelle dropped it about 10 times on Saturday Night Live. 10,000. Well, I'm talking about on Saturday Night Live. Right, right, okay. He dropped it about 10 times on it. I just, that was totally, first of all, the routines that he was doing didn't require that. Right, right. It would have been effective without that. And plus, not on Saturday Night Live, not on network TV. I just didn't think it was appropriate or necessary because we're, we're trying to cancel white people's careers for accidentally saying it. Saying right, right. It when, they're, when they're drunk. Right, right. And then for our, one of our most talented people to drop it about 10 times on Saturday Night Live, I just don't think it's a good idea. Dave Chappelle is brilliant, does some brilliant things. Right.
1: Uh, uh, I right. mean— uh, um, So so here's the question. Yeah. Why do you think he did it? You have a thought on that. I know I have a thought on that. Well, here's the thing— uh, you know,
0: I mean, it's true what black comedians are saying is that, yes, we can say it, but you white people can't say it. They're trying to say that, but. Well, that they said it for over 200 years, 300 right. years. And so I don't. For black comedians, I, I think we want them to be free in that artistic arena. Uh, that is I know a young right. a young lady and who has a problem with a with a sketch that Key and Peel did because it it's it's uh, set in the time of slavery and they portray two slaves. I saw that on the internet I don't I think the, the sketch is brilliant she is offended because she says slavery is not funny but uh, 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 but the sketch is brilliant right. and, uh, because what it talks about is, Black people talking that extra revolutionary stuff, yeah. but when the pressure's on, the truth is they want to be white. They want to be like white white right. people, and that's what that's what the sketch was all about. Right. They want to be a part of white world. They
1: want they want equality in the most vulgar, contemptuous way. Uh, but here, let's 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 backtrack a bit. That was, and I want to go back to one point you 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 made. Why do black people do that, black people? Let's, let's look at it from a perspective of black people are not a monolith. So, therefore, we have different, dichot- different dichotomies of black people. We have different types of black people. When we were brought t- to this country in slavery, we were not all from the same uh, tribe, nation, country, or whatever, you wanna, however you want to look at it. We were all different, and we were thrown together, and we were forced based on one thing. What that one? What was that one thing? Skin color. Really? That was the only thing. Mm-hmm. We was ba- it was based on that. And you and he are in the same boat. Whereas well, he might have not thought that he's. Like, well, wait a minute. I don't know this black person over here. I'm from this tribe and this way and whatever. Mm. And it's the same in America. At one time in America and probably still is this time, they had a book that was called and I read this book called The Color Complex and I forget who wrote it. In the color complex, black people were deciding, and this is after the Talented Tent, who was, who 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 in their race were, were closer to white people. And so you had these things, like if you came to a certain church, they said he can be a member but he must be lighter than the door frame. He can be a member, but if we put his hand in the paper bag here and and his hand is darker than the paper bag, can't be a member. You see, we had intra-racism or racism inside the black community based on skin color. And I know white people saw that and white people even created that. And when you look at slavery and you say to yourself about slavery, well, if black people were less than animal, they were chattel property, they were subhuman, why is he breeding with them? Why is he having children with them? And then his blood children, he's selling them. Why is all of that happening? And did that breed a sort of contempt in a race of black people who felt like they were like white people, who I know you've heard under some circumstance, black people will let you know in a minute, I come from here and that's on the white side. But why don't you describe the blacks that have no idea, have no idea of it. It's that feeling that we're all the same, but People break ranks, and I think the reason why Dave Chappelle, why Candace Owens, why Shelby Lanier, why—excuse uh, uh, me, not Lanier—I'm wrong. That brother, Shelby Steele. Shelby Steele. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm and and. Uh, 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 The others, I can't remember the name of the others, but the point is they're breaking ranks because they don't feel like you feel. They feel a different way, and that's the culture that they want to create, and the culture they want to create is they're not interested in in trying to explain to you why they use the N-word, because to them it's nothing. When he lives up there in that gated community, his children go to that wonderful school. He has that great doctor. His concerns are less about the black community, which people view when they say black community as a poor, broke-down, illiterate, crime-infested, uh, 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 roach-infested community. That's the way they look at it. Remember what Candace Owens said when she said she had made it. She, de- she, de- she despised the fact that she was poor and where she had come from. She despised that. So, Candace Owens, folks, uh, is a black conservative oh, on the, on black the line. Blackout.
0: On the line with Shelby Steele and uh, some of the other ones, uh, Walter E. that just passed, uh, uh, some of the other ones. Granger. Uh, Soul, Soul, and Soul Granger. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and, so and, folks, folks, we've been uh, had a great show here oh. with uh, with Mac Shaw, a retired li- librarian, a veteran of the. Uh, Air Force and the Army, and definitely a community resources when it comes to books, as this brother's been doing book talks for, 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 for many, many years uh, for the community. So, Mac, I do want to thank you uh, for being here with us today.
1: It's been a great show, really an honor to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I look forward in the future, should there be a need uh, to do more. Thank you so much.